Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine here. So there are a lot of really cool things happening around here at Social Workers Rise. For one, this week, so Sunday in March or April, oh my gosh, what are we, April 3rd, I found out that we had won the racket competition for podcast sponsorships. So I am so incredibly excited and humbled. And I just want to thank you as a listener for being here and helping this little podcast. We have been doing Social Workers Rise for the past two years since January 2020. And it has been a wild ride. And I know a lot of you have been with me since the beginning, and I just can't thank you enough for your tremendous amount of support and your kind words and your encouragement. A lot of times doing a podcast, it's a lot of work. I don't get paid, so it's all volunteer-based for me. And I feel sometimes like I'm talking into a void, and I wonder if anyone's listening to me, but just having those ongoing conversations with you as the listener just reassures me that what I'm doing matters and the conversations that we have here matters and all of the work that goes into scheduling and recording and producing and releasing and marketing the podcast is worth it. So I am energized today. I am ready to keep on going for you. I'm ready to bring on so many more social workers to have conversations with. I mean, the list of people I want to talk to keeps growing and growing. And I do this every week. So sometimes we take a break, like I'll probably take a break during summer. But for the most part, we are here every week with new episodes for you, specifically around social workers. And I love that this podcast has turned into a venue for really learning about different areas of social work that we never really considered. And I just love talking to social workers in, quote, non-traditional fields of social work. So people who are entrepreneurs or people who are just doing social work in different areas that we don't typically hear of or think of, especially when we're applying for our jobs. Because when you are around here and you're in the community of Social Workers Rise, you need to know that you are never, ever, ever stuck. Your skills are so valuable and so versatile. We just need to know how to communicate our value to people who don't really understand it, which is the challenging part. I recently, another really cool update is I recently started taking on private coaching clients and in reviewing resumes and talking about their career goals, sometimes we really undersell ourselves. I mean, we have such amazing experience, but we don't really have the terminology or the words of how to frame it in a way 
to communicate effectively to potential employers in different industries. So that's been really a fun part of the coaching program is just being able to take their experiences and flip them into business lingo or corporate lingo. Or if you're trying to get into the medical field, I'm really good at talking about how to get into the medical field. So it's been really exciting, a lot of really great changes. And at the same time, a lot of challenges, a lot of um, having to deal with discouragement and frustration and again wondering if it's worth it because believe me it's a lot easier if I were to just say F it let me just go get a full-time job and and work nine to five and just you know do that for the rest of my life which is fine for some people but that's really not my calling I really really need to be an entrepreneur. I really want to find, you know, or be a founder of companies. I still want to own a foundation one day and get like literally give you money (laughs) for being a social worker. That is my job or that is my calling. That is what I want to do for a job is to fund organizations like this. And so we're starting with Social Workers Rise. It's a podcast. It's a great way for us to get to know each other, have real authentic conversations about what's going on in social work. And the other part, too, is the Rise directory, because while I'm all about new social workers, a really big part about being a new social worker is your clinical supervision. It's important that you have really effective clinical supervision. You feel like you can be open and vulnerable and share in a safe space. However, if your clinical supervisor is not a good fit for you, maybe they're your boss and you don't feel comfortable being vulnerable with them. Again, I want you to know you're never stuck with that clinical supervisor. You're never stuck in that job. So by doing the RISE directory, it gives you options. It lets you know hey, there are options out there. Whether you decide to stay with your your current clinical supervisor or you want to venture out and get your own clinical supervisor or if your job isn't going to provide it or can't provide a, a supervisor for your social work hours, then this is all even more reason why we need the RISE directory. If you haven't heard of it before, the RISE directory is a national directory of clinical supervisors for social workers. So as long as you're able to supervise social workers in your state, you are more than welcome to join us on the directory. If you are looking for a clinical supervisor, feel free to browse. I'm not trying to, you know, steal your information. I'm not trying to make decisions for you. I'm not trying to charge you to look and see what's available. I think all that's BS, to be honest. So if you are a supervisee, it's always going to be free for you to browse and go on there and look. So even if you're a clinical supervisor, you can join for free. So with that said, a lot of really great things happening. I really, really appreciate you being being here. This week, we are talking about financial social work. So last week, we talked about what would happen if social workers starting investing with Adam Reed. And I just dream of the world where social workers and people with ethics and understanding of trauma-informed systems 
and people who really genuinely care about the population have the financial power to make changes and to invest into areas that matter to them, areas that are going to really, really make a true impact in the lives of the people that we work with and the people that we serve. So we're continuing on with this financial education or financial conversation um, about social, what am I trying to say? We're continuing on this conversation to talk about financial social work. There we go. So this week we're talking with the founder of Financial Social Work and I think it's, it's just amazing. So her center is the Center for Financial Social Work and she started this over 20 years ago when no one was talking about financial social work. If you think about 20 years ago where we were in you know, 2000, 2002, people still really didn't talk about finances. And it's still a taboo topic to talk about, especially within social work, but that's changing. And I see this shift happening. And as social workers, it's important that we're able to speak with our clients about finances because finances is such a huge motivator of stress. And if we're not able ourselves to feel comfortable about our own finances or understand the basics of how the financial system works, we're never going to be able to assist our clients. So that is what we talk about with Rita Wolfson, CMSW. And she is, uh, she's really devoted a significant part of her life to pioneering new areas of academic inquiry and transforming her research and experience into practical financial health and wellness programs and materials for social workers. She goes beyond the dollars, cents, and debt of debts and debts and budgets uh, because she knows, you know, just how much stress and anxiety that finances can cause. And it can really be traumatic in some sense. I mean, a lot of clients, especially if you're looking at domestic violence, they can't leave the relationship because of finances. We have seniors who have experienced financial abuse. I mean, there's so many different areas that this integrates into our work with our clients. So I'm really excited to talk with her and I admire her work because she really is a true pioneer in a new area of social work. And I feel like it hasn't gotten the exposure that it really needs. And she is booming with her business. She has, since the pandemic, there has been a spike and a really big increase in interest in financial social work, rightfully so. So with that, let's listen to a quick ad from our sponsor, The Rise Directory, and then we'll get into the conversation with Rita. This episode is proudly brought to you by The Rise Directory, a national directory of clinical supervisors who are dedicated to helping the next generation of clinical social workers grow in their clinical skills. The link is in the show notes. Check it out and tell every clinical supervisor you know about this directory.
Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. We are here with Rita Wolfson. I'm so excited to talk with you today, Rita. You have been a really big inspiration for me and my career, and just seeing what you have done with the financial social work certification and program, you have such an amazing reputation. Your, your reputation really precedes you. So welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here, Catherine. Yes, I'm happy to, that you're here. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Hmm. So who am I? I am the founder of Financial Social Work. I started it all 25 years ago. I can't wrap my head around that. It seems like only yesterday. I guess I'm glad it wasn't because as you well know, and as most social work entrepreneurs know, that starting a business takes a lot of courage, <laughs> takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of work. Um, so here we are and it is forever evolving. I started it all in 1997 with the word feminomics. And since I created that word, I decided that I got to give it a definition. And the definition I gave it was the gender of money. Now, if I'm in a room training and I ask, well, back then, if I asked people, if they thought there was a gender of money. Most people did not. When I told my husband about the word feminomics and the fact that I had given it the definition of the gender of money, he said, there's no such thing. Money doesn't have a gender, but money does have a gender. And for about five years when I started, it was all about feminomics. And for me, that gender of money means, in fact, the most important at the top of my list of reasons that there's a gender of money is, is the fact that women earn less. 2022, and we still earn less. And it goes on because women take more time out of the workplace and that affects their retirement, their savings, their ability to be promoted. Women usually um, do most of the caregiving for children, parents, that list goes on. And it's the reason that so many women end up in poverty as they grow older, but obviously women aren't the only ones with financial problems. Men have their share of financial problems and it only made sense to turn this into what it is and that's financial social work. Uh, it is very much a behavioral model we look at the thoughts, feelings, attitudes, beliefs, experiences, and values that drive financial behavior. So it's heavily psychosocial. It has to be behavioral because until and unless behavior changes, nothing changes. And behavior 
for me, for us, is about how we earn, spend, save, share, and borrow. But the real heart of my work is about healing the relationship we each have with our money and with ourselves. Because if we don't feel good about ourselves, if we're feeling hopeless, helpless, unworthy, you're not going to make the effort or take the time to figure out what the problem is. And of course, it isn't one problem. It isn't really simple. I spent this past quarter of a century trying to simplify it, certainly trying to make it very user-friendly, but money is complicated. The thing is that it affects every area of our lives. It affects us physically, mentally, emotionally, certainly financially, psychologically, socially. And even now, so many people don't realize that. As a matter of fact, tomorrow I'm doing our free monthly webinar on um, the cycle of financial self-abuse. Because when people are struggling financially, the most popular way to cope with that is to avoid their money, to disconnect from it. And all that does is make things worse, money spirals out of control. And we have to look at all of these various components. So that's me. And that's a brief overview of financial social work. Yeah. Today. I, today. I, yes. Today. I love that. And I love the points that you hit on that money is can be complicated and it does affect all of the parts of our lives, whether we want to admit it or not, which I experienced this as a new social worker because talking about numbers and money intimidated me because I never had a lot of it. So I figured, you know, why worry about it? I avoided looking at my student loans. I didn't learn about the interest rates. And over time, it got to the point where I'm like, oh, shoot, I don't, my, my expenses are higher than my income, which wasn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of expenses, but I also was a new social worker and didn't have a lot of income. And, um, and it, it took, it was, it was a weight it's a weight on your shoulders and it affects how you relate to people, your social relationships. Are you going to go out and have dinner with a friend? You know, so it affects every part of our lives and it's just that weight of the stress that's just kind of looming back there. And then it's, it takes courage to admit, okay, we got to fix this. And this is coming from you know, a lot of, I know a lot of social workers have the same experience and we're college educated, right? So this affects our clients on an even greater level too. So being able to one, address it within ourselves so that we can also help other people through that journey, I think is really powerful as well. I, I set out very clearly to make sure that our graduates had the skills and the tools and the knowledge to improve their own financial futures, as well as to be healthy 
role models, confident and competent at helping clients. It is a, a real missing piece for social workers. And I guess we shouldn't make this all <laughs> about the cost of being a social worker and the fact that reimbursement is different and the many problems that social workers face. I love being a social worker. I know you love being a social worker. And both of us want to do as much as we can to improve the lives of those who are in our profession and of the men and women that we serve. Yes, yes, 100%. So, I mean, I guess we kind of touched on this, but why do you, like, what would you say when someone asks you, you know, why do social workers need to know about financial social work? How is that going to help? Their clients? I love that question, Catherine. Thank you for asking it. Because way back when, when I was starting out, many social workers told me that social workers shouldn't don't talk to clients about money. I was a pretty new social worker then, but I still didn't agree with that. Everything we do in our work with clients has a financial component. Almost every, if not every presenting problem, certainly all of the issues that social workers on a micro, meso, and macro level work to address have a financial component because it costs money to create equality, to, to do the many broad things that, that, that we want to change because we are social workers and we know how important it is to address the needs of so many men and women. And it just, it makes so much sense to me how can we not talk about money? And that's a big problem because like, where can you go to talk about money? The continuum is extremely limited. You have consumer credit counseling on one end, bankruptcy on the other, not much in between. And both of those have restrictions and qualifications. So not everyone qualifies for them and neither of them has a behavioral component. So recidivism is high. Um, clients need a safe, non-judgmental space to talk about and learn about money. And that's why I've always thought we, as, as social workers, we have the education, the training, the experience to do this work with clients. Other than the fact, if we're not confident, we don't feel confident, we're not going to take it on. And there is this 
issue, the schools don't teach financial literacy. There's, there's between 17 and 20 states and that keeps changing. Um, some drop out, some come on, but somewhere in that vicinity um, that have one semester of personal finance, which isn't enough, but is better than nothing. And we have schools that believe slash want that the family to be the ones who teach children about money. But so many families struggle and so many families don't want their children to know or understand their financial circumstances. So that becomes another cycle of <laughs> no one's teaching it. So we continue to raise generation after generation after generation of financially illiterate men and women. Honestly, I don't get it. It's just, I don't get it. Would you go so far as to say that you, your program can help break generational cycles of poverty? Hey, it's Catherine here. I hope you're enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to this ad from our sponsor. I believe in my program and the feedback and reviews that we get are so amazing. Breaking cycle of generational poverty. It's equally as challenging as everything we else we've spoken about and everything that we as social workers do with clients. It isn't just one thing, but I think it's a way for our profession. And we do have many graduates who aren't social workers, but it work in human services, or not-for-profits and with a mission to provide financial literacy, financial education. And I know that because of the way it's created, it's very interactive. The certification is very beautiful. It's very reflective, has a lot of content and is a great resource that's always there for you. It can change people's relationship with their money, um, social workers and clients. But you know, until we as a nation and as a profession are willing to accept the challenge of reducing financial illiteracy. We talk a lot about financial literacy, financial capability. We really don't talk about financial illiteracy. And it is financial illiteracy that drives people to do the things that they do to avoid and not pay their bills, not look at their bills, spend more than they earn, live paycheck to paycheck. This is what happens at the beginning of the pandemic. 
we do a free monthly webinar. So every month we do great topics, perfect for our audience and our financial social work community. We average around four to 800 people registering for each one. And when the pandemic hit, I realized we really had to address the pandemic. And I created one, we usually have guest speakers. I do a few each year that I wanted to, but then I have guest speakers, graduates and other professionals. Um, I knew we had to do something special and I created one on coping with financial realities of COVID-19. And I created an ebook also. All of the, the recordings are on our website. The, we have quite a few free ebooks can be downloaded. My point was that we average between, I don't know, four or five, 800 people registering every month. That month, we had over 12,000 people. Wow. Register. It was like this great awakening. Uh, Houston, we have a problem. Um, and we do. Things, as you and I were talking about before, things have gotten worse. And I, I don't want to be negative, but I don't think we have a war, we have inflation, we have, oh, what's, what, what's, um, what's that very popular phrase, things aren't getting here from other countries. Um, hey, you're talking uh, about imports? Uh, yeah, but, but it's just, we blame everything on the fact that we don't have the chips. We oh. don't have, um, so. And mortgage rates just went up again. Mortgage rate, forget the rates, which is important, but there's no inventory. And what inventory there is. Yeah. Avoid it. Honestly, honestly. When you buy more house than you can afford, it becomes another one of those problems. Yeah. Supply chain. Supply chain is what I was looking for. <laughs> there Let's you go. blame everything on the supply chain, which is very real. But this is where we're at. It would be interesting to watch this in a year or two and see how much things have changed. Hopefully for the better. Hopefully. Yeah, I'm not I'm not too optimistic because it really takes action on the part of you know, people to make these changes and at least take control of what you can do for yourself, right? So while we can't control the economy or the mortgage rates, we can at least control our knowledge and our understanding of, of what we do have control over, which is our finances, our credit cards, our student loans, you know, interest rates, what's going to be best, buying, you know, less whatever to make your needs uh, I don't know, <laughs> buying less things so that you can meet your needs and start saving and create that retirement account. All of these are very important. Yeah, they're not real engaging though. No. <laughs> if you're struggling, you know, you have financial stress and problems, anxiety yeah. and trauma. Yeah. It's very traumatizing. It really is. Well, when you don't know about it, when you know about it, it's empowering. You are right. Because when you talk about money, 
you're talking about power mm -hmm. because those who have the money have the power. So we know as social workers, our goal is to empower clients. It's what we want to do. Definitely, definitely. So I'm curious, you know, have graduates of your program gone on to get, you know, different types of jobs or what kind of job titles do you think open up for you when you have a certificate in financial social work? That's so fascinating. It's almost two years ago that I began a monthly Zoom meeting that we invite our students and graduates to. So we have thousands of graduates across the country and around the world, China, Japan, Finland, Iceland, um, England, Canada. Um, so we do this monthly Zoom meeting and I hadn't done that before. So one of the great things is being able to see people that were just names to me for such a long time. But what happened was that I got to hear about all the different ways they use it and all the different populations they use it in prisons, in healthcare settings, in universities, in many, many, many not-for-profits, domestic violence, and in banks. There are banks that hire financial social workers. And while this has nothing to do with financial social work, I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's something that I truly love because I've always loved libraries. And there is a movement, did you know this? to hire social workers in libraries? I had no idea. That is a new one for me. It's so cool, isn't it? Yeah, it makes complete sense. Well, librarians have tremendous amount of knowledge. They can tell you everything that you need to know in the library, but they can't provide the pieces that social workers help clients with. One of the terms I created last year was financial behavioral health so that we could connect social workers and non-social workers to that insight and that understanding of how it impacts us physically, mentally, emotionally, all those other ways too. It, it's that behavioral component. And a lot of people just don't make that connection. They see money over here and life over here instead of how integrated both of them are. Where you wake up every day, the job you have because of the education you either could afford or will be paying for the rest of your life. I mean, we just have these things going on in this country. How do we not only encourage students to take out more money each semester 
for their education than they need and let them live off of it so that they will then be paying for it pretty much the rest of their lives. There are so many people who can't get married, can't, they, they can't afford to get married. They can't afford to have a child. They certainly, in, in this real estate market, can't afford a home. I mean, we're just building it and making all of the problems worse. You have me on my soapbox here, so I'll stop and let you ask a question. No, we love the soapbox. Keep going, Rita. <laughs> I know, I mean, speaking of the student loans, I know a handful of people here in Southern California, they went to a specific private university, and now, you know, they had, they took out loans in excess of $100,000, and now their, their monthly payment is six, $800 just for one degree, maybe just for their master's, not even including their bachelor's. And gosh, that is a lot of money. That's like two car payments or <laughs> a really nice Tesla payment. And there are people who just decide to stop paying them. Yeah. They don't go away. They are never going away. Other types of loans will go away, but not student loans. You can't get rid of those in bankruptcy, which all of these rules and the interest rates around student loans, I think are really, really unethical, but it's me. I happen to agree. It's not good. It's not a pretty picture. Yeah. Until you take control of your money, you can never feel or be in control of your life. It's just not possible. It is always the elephant in the room. It's always present. You mentioned some of those things. You talked about the weight on your shoulders. It's just this present. Um, I have some new statistics for tomorrow's webinar. If I, I'm not sure I can remember. Um, the, 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 the sleevelessness, people say they have X amount number of sleeveless nights because of their debt. And the average seems to be three nightmares, I think a week or a month because of their debt. Wow. Um, they're very real. Yes, very real. Oh my gosh. Another thought that I had while we were talking is I really see the people who are pursuing financial social work certification as leaders. You know, they're taking steps to invest in their careers. They are expanding their knowledge. They're focused on growth. They're looking towards the future. And I'm wondering, you know, how do we get more leaders like this into clinical supervision? Because that's really going to be the foundation of bringing in the next generation of social workers who are financially educated. Well, we have to work with you, Catherine. <laughs> well, we do. You're providing such an important service and ability to the social workers who learn about you. And I'm excited to be able to share your information with our students and graduates 
and hopefully, well, we know that some of them are already involved with you, and we we need more because what you're doing is is a real benefit to our profession. Yeah, I really see this as as a needed piece in how do we how do we make that connection between you know the maybe the new social workers who are coming in and they do want to focus on financial social work. Maybe they do want to work in a bank, right? Maybe they do want to do credit counseling with people, um, which is a really growing area. I've noticed a lot of social workers make that transition into financial counseling and being brokers and things like that. So um, I would really love to see more of that. Well, let's put our heads together and okay. can happen. <laughs> Stay tuned, listeners. <laughs> We're two smart women, right? T-W-O and T-O-O. Yes. (laughs) That's funny. So how can people find you and get more information about financial social work? That's pretty easy. We are at financialsocialwork.com. And we have so many free resources. Our graduates write essays. Our graduates uh, do some of our free monthly webinars. I, don't, I never count it, but we probably have hundreds um, of recordings on all kinds of topics from our monthly webinars. And we have quite a few ebooks that people can download. So we have a lot of great resources that people can take advantage of and uh, learn more. I mean, like, what is this? Because it is, even though I've been doing it for 25 years, I know that this is still, people still tell me, I didn't know there was something like financial social work. Well, there is something like financial social work. I was actually named a social work pioneer for creating financial social work. I believe it. And especially 25 years ago, that's amazing, Rita, because that took such courage and, you know, guts to come out and start having these conversations about money because, you know, back in the day, we just didn't talk about money. It was rude, right? (laughs) We still don't talk about money, You and I will talk about it. Yeah. Students and graduates will talk about it. But there is no safe, non judgmental behavioral approach where people can get this information. And you and I are going to change that together. You're already changing that, Rita. You have thousands of social workers out there all over the world having these conversations, and you definitely are a pioneer. So thank you so much for being here today. Um, it was a pleasure talking with you. Is there anything that you wanted to, to cover that we hadn't covered already? No, I think we're good. And if we think of something else, maybe we'll do another one. Yeah, yeah. You're always welcome on the Social Workers Rise podcast. Thank you so much, Rita. Thanks, Catherine. Take care. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you loved it, please 
open up your iTunes, tap the five stars and leave a short note on why you love listening to the Social Workers Rise podcast. Also, if you want to share it on social media, I absolutely love it. You have me fangirling all over you. Take a screenshot and share it and tag me at Social Workers Rise on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, just want to leave a little bit of legal disclosure here that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in the Social Workers Rise podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done so at your own risk. This podcast should not be used in place of professional advice, therapy, or clinical supervision. And with that, my friends, I'll talk to you next week.